praise God. Amen. Welcome to everyone tonight. If you're a guest with us tonight, we're glad to have you. If you're not a guest with us tonight, we're glad to have you too. If you're joining us by way of the internet tonight, we welcome you wherever you may be watching this service from. Thank you for taking the time to be with us wherever you are. Praise God. And uh, please continue to keep Bishop in your prayers. He's recovering from the fall he had a week ago. and uh, So please continue to give, keep him in your prayers. We give honor to him and Mother Wright tonight. Praise God. We uh, need some, we could get some help after service from some abled body brethren, young and older. Um, we've got a bunch of setting up to do for our youth revival this weekend, decorating and things happening. Tomorrow, uh, this, this is very exciting, our new name is getting revealed and all kinds of exciting stuff. So if we could get some brethren after service, again, young uh, I realize for you teenagers, this is revived youth revival for you, but if you want to get a good dose of ministry, you work on stuff that's actually for you too. So, um, But if we could get some help after service, I'll remind you when I'm done. Obviously, the more help we have, the quicker we can get all that done, so it would be greatly appreciated. I, I, I want a, a couple, of, couple of remarks here before I uh, start. Uh, remarks connected to what I'm about to teach. First off, uh, this is the last time on thir- last Thursday night I will be teaching until October. I say that to tell you I have no intent of purposely going longer than normal, i.e. 9 o'clock. Somehow that's, that's when church ends, we all know. But I am going to get through what I feel I have tonight, what I thought was for last week and I never got to. So I'm telling you that in advance to tell you if I go a few minutes over, please be patient with me, but this is it for a month. I'm going to be here tomorrow night, Saturday night, Sunday night, and all that. Some of you are going to get a break the next two nights, and that's fine. So I'm not being unkind of your time. Uh, I got to be at Severna Park Racquetball Club at 5.45 a.m. in the morning to play racquetball. So I'm just as ready to get in bed as you are. So all those factors being said, I want you to understand that I, I, I'm, I'm going to get through this tonight. And I just, in case I get a little bit past nine, I don't want you getting antsy on me because I might, my, my nature might flare up and then I might just go longer than I even need to. So that's point number one. Point number two is this. I am, I'm, I'm about to get into one of those areas tonight that, that we really don't spend a lot of time on in a church service setting because of the fact when you're in a setting like this, even on a Thursday night, you have people at all kinds of different levels of spiritual growth and maturity. And as strongly and as firmly as there's things that we believe, neither are we interested in unnecessarily offending someone. So I'm about to, I'm about to touch on a subject tonight. I'm telling you in advance, especially to our guests and those of you that are relatively new to Antioch. I'm about to touch on a subject tonight 
that first of all, it's not going to, you're, you're not going to be unaware of this. What I'm going to do is hopefully, if you don't have it, give you a little bit of understanding why we do some of what we do. But there is no expectation on you to leave here tonight and, and, and measure up. I don't know. We, uh, couple of I see a couple I know there's at least two guys here tonight that went to the Naval Academy of course I guess uh, boot camp whatever may be similar I don't know if they do the females as well brother you but but on on when you show up for plebe summer that first day they buzz your head right they do male and female or just the men so in fact if you go watch the video at the at the visitor center at the Naval Academy that's a part of the video and they show I mean, they just line these guys up. It's just like an assembly line, and it's about five or six motions, and they're done. That's not what I pay to get a haircut for. I expect a little more time and care than just a couple of things, and I'm done. My, the point is, that, that is a rule. And so when you, in, when you, when you sign up, you've got to abide by the rules, and that's why first day everybody does the same thing. But in living for God, it's not rules, it's relationship, and it's principles that govern our relationship. And that's why, i.e., the way you, 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 you get in, you, you join up, you go to plebe summer, well, the way you get in this is not by shaking my hand or a congregation elder's hand or anybody else. The way you get into this is you're baptized into it. You're filled with the Holy Ghost, evidenced by speaking in tongues. That's how you get in the church. Not this church, the church. But when you get in the church that way, you are not expected from, from, from the, from bishop and senior pastor on down. You are not expected to get out of the baptistry that day and go out and start abiding by a bunch of rules. You are expected to build a relationship with God that will produce convictions in your life that will cause you to want to make changes, not because you're told to do so, but because the Spirit of God is dealing with you. And then we have biblical principles why we do the things we do. It is extremely important to me tonight, number one to our guests, number two again to those of you that are, that are newer here, and I, I, I'm not putting any whatever on newer. That you listen to where I don't, do not mishear what I'm saying tonight by what I'm about to, to share tonight. It's been a long time to my knowledge, recollection. In fact, I've never specifically taught on this in the years I've been senior pastor. And it's been, a, and, and, and during that time, Bishop hasn't, not in a church service. Uh, and so I'm, I'm about to touch on it some here tonight, but I, I just want to, I want to put that out. I'm not trying to be, defensive or whatever, I, 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 I care and I'm concerned. I am, as Bishop says, I'm a shepherd. And I'm not interested in herding sheep. H-U-R-T-I-N-G. Hurting sheep. That's not my intent. Or potential sheep. Okay? So I, 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 I just, I want you to hear that. I want you to get that, please. I'm gonna, I'm gonna start with the verses I ended, uh, where I ended last week. Um, what I thought was all just the foundation. And so we will go from there. Second Thessalonians chapter two, verse 11. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. And specifically verse 13 is what I want to draw your attention to. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved, 
Sorry, it's not 13. I'm jumping ahead. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. Whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 15. This is the one. Therefore, brethren, stand fast. That means stand firm. Hold your ground. Don't waver, don't fall back. Hold your ground. And hold the traditions which you have been taught, whether by word or epistle, or our epistle. So he's saying what you've been taught, either by us being there teaching you, that's word, or by epistle, that's the written letters we have sent you. So he says to hold to these traditions which we have been taught. As I said last week, That word traditions is not in the sense of what we normally use as traditions. My family has holiday traditions. There are things we do every year that are family traditions. That that word tradition there, that's not what it means. It's talking about doctrine. It's talking about the things that have been taught from a biblical perspective and standpoint. He says to hold on to these things. The Amplified says it, Like this, so then, brethren, stand firm and hold fast to the traditions and instructions which you were taught by us, whether by word, by our word, or by our word of mouth, or by our letter. Father, thank you for your presence. Thank you for what you've already done here tonight, the ministry that's taken place. Now I pray that through your word and this part of this service, you would continue to minister. Let there be revelation and understanding that would come to us. I trust you for your anointing, God, to speak your word tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. If I was if I was on Twitter, I would probably tweet this, but I'm not. So, it is a scary thing when everyone is arguing against rather than standing for. We got a lot of people trying to figure out what we can stand against and I, I I'm let me let me let me let me let me give you the context of that statement I'm talking about doctrine and truths a lot of people standing against fighting against rather than standing for I I I I I I get very tired of all of those that are constantly wanting to argue why this isn't necessary and you don't have to do that and this is and this is just tradition in the negative context and why we aren't willing to stand for I'm teaching I don't have to have your amen so but I'll take them anyway <laughs> Paul said I'm challenging you to stand for what we have passed on to you I'm challenging you to take a stand and not give up on it, not let go of it, not look for some way out of it. Hebrews 12 tells us, first verse, first, first verse or two, talks about laying aside every and sin. Lay aside the weight and the sin. Wait. Wait. When it comes to sin, sin is clearly defined in the Word of God. When it comes to weights, weights are not clearly defined in the Word of God. 
Because there are some things that may be a weight to me that may not be a weight to you. And vice versa. And if all we ever do is simply worry about sin and ignore the weights, we may be saved, but we will not run as fast, as effectively, as efficiently as we should. You can't run as fast carrying an extra 10, 15 pounds as you can without it. Whatever your age is, whatever shape you're in. And oftentimes, our question is, well, is it a sin? And if you can prove to me it's a sin, okay, I won't do it. Or if not doing it means I'm sinning, then I will do it. I don't mean to steal his thunder, perhaps, but the other day when Bishop went to the doctor, the orthopedic surgeon he's gone to for years, I've gone to, my brother's gone to, we've used him for years, great guy, and you get about... Uh, I don't know if he does this with everybody or the people he knows, but you get about five minutes medical attention and about 45 minutes just fellowshipping. He's an enjoyable guy. And he asked Bishop the other day, I, I think he's, uh, I forget what religion, Greek Orthodox or Greek Orthodox. So he asked Bishop Wright the other day for his, do you know what the meaning of the word sin is, the Greek meaning of the word sin is? The way I understand it, Bishop Mike's mother might tell it a little different, but my understanding was he kind of let him. <laughs> and guess what he said? It means to miss the mark. Sin is not just what you do or don't do. It's not, it's not, it, 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 it's, it's about the mark. And if I'm shooting for the mark and I miss it, I've sinned. I said it in the, in, in the, uh, Antioch U family class level two. Most, I believe most believers, most genuine believers do not struggle with sins of commission. You're not out cheating, stealing, lying, fornicating, committing adultery, all that stuff. Most genuine believers struggle with sins of omission. It's not doing the things we should do. We go through the checklist at the end of the day. Well, I didn't do this, didn't do that, didn't do that, didn't do, didn't go here, didn't say that, didn't I didn't sin. We ignore the fact I didn't pray, I didn't I didn't tell anybody about Jesus. I I didn't do what God was prompting me to do and I didn't give in the offering, I didn't pay my tithes, but it's it's what I didn't do is rather than looking at what I should have done and so both of them fall in to that category. So, we're in a day and time in which, you know, I believe we, I believe we ought to have book for what we do. I believe that. Believe that wholeheartedly. But when it comes to if, you, if all you're worried about is being saved, all you need to worry about is just sin. That's probably not totally true, actually. Because there's no way to just simply try to be saved and be saved. But that's the way we think. So I'll give that disclaimer. <laughs> if you're interested in more than just trying to get to heaven, you want somebody to tell you not what you have to do. 
Tell me what I need to do. Tell me what I should do. Tell me what you see and feel about me. And I don't need you then to give me a a doctoral thesis about it. I just need you. What are you feeling? I know, I know, if you're, I know there's a whole nother tangent you can take what I'm saying off in. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> there ought to be something in the heart of a believer that trusts and wants not to just tell me, show me book, chapter, and verse, and then, okay. But just that gentle prick of the spirit, not even, not even from the preacher the pastor, the whatever, but even just from the Spirit of God, a a gentle nudge that says, you should do this or you shouldn't do that. And my response is, okay, God, I don't need you, God, to, to now tell me everything in your word that's... So, I made a statement a couple of weeks ago preaching, when I the night I preached about unity and the Lord's Prayer in Korah. If you remember in that service, I gave you the definition of the names of those that were with Korah. And Korah's name, lastly. And Korah's name means this. It means the, the, the second and third definitions or whatever is, uh, the third one is, is uh, I, I think the second and third one is frost or ice. So the significance of that to me is, you better be careful when you're getting in cahoots with people that are spiritually cold, that have no fire. You better be careful when you're, when you're getting, when you're all a part of the group that's, that's, that's got no fire but has an opinion. Because usually when you have a opinion without fire, you have a, a rebellious opinion. You get a break from me for four weeks. But the first, the first part, the first definition, I forget which, which, I think it was Hitchcock's Bible names, I think. If that wasn't that, it was, it was one of the other, uh, Hebrew dictionary. The other, the, the first definition of the word Korah is baldness. And as I said to you that night, I made a statement in passing, and when I made that statement, I had no intent of doing what I'm here to do tonight, but I felt impressed by the Holy Ghost to do it. And so I'm coming back to that. I made the statement to you that night. The significance of that was hair is connected with submission to authority. And so when Korah was, when it, his name is Baldness, that, 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 that to me was representing there's some kind of an issue, a disconnect with authority. And in that, I also made the statement that 1 Corinthians 11 is about hair and that it's, that, that it's about authority and submission. So I threw that out there and again, after that, I've, I have, I feel led to come back and, and attempt, not attempt, but to, to give the basis of that statement. Now, I also want to say this, and I want you to hear me properly, please, and in the context of which I mean this. When it comes, I've, I've taught several times now in different settings in my years as senior pastor. I've taught several times now on, on the, the topic of holiness and the principles of holiness. How we dress is not holiness. 
What we wear is not, that is an expression of. It's an expression of. You do not find in the Bible the terminology, holiness standard. That's what we've come up with. That's what we use. And now that's what gets used to devalue all of the things that we do. And so, when it comes, when it comes to this area, holiness, and, and specifically what I'm about to spend some time on here tonight, 1 Corinthians 11, that deals with the, the subject of hair, as, all, as most of you are aware of, and if you're not aware of this, Bishop Wright, Bishop, if you're a guest, Bishop Chester Wright, founding pastor of this church, who is also my father, my biological father, has, has thousands of pages of notes on the subject of the principles of holiness, modesty, all of that, and he's got a very in-depth study on, on hair. Now, I, I have, listen, please listen to me and make sure you hear the whole thing. I have read none of his notes, and I have chosen that I will not read any of his notes on this topic. Because you need to know that whatever I teach, I am not just parroting what he taught. That when I teach the same thing, the same principles he taught, it's not because I'm just reading his textbook. But it's what I've got through my own study, my own approach. I'm not telling you to do that, and in fact, I encourage you otherwise. If you ask him, he will share with you without reservation. You're welcome to ask him for this, ask him about this after tonight. When it comes to doctrine and things like that, I don't have the same approach as I do. But I have, for years now, and if I'm wrong, he's probably watching or will watch later, and he can tell me I'm wrong, and I'll be happy to change. But I have felt it was very important for me to be able to share with you revelation that is my revelation. Obviously, if my revelation that I'm sharing becomes contrary or in opposition to his, I'm in trouble, and you don't have to worry about him and Jesus, more importantly, taking care of that. I believe with all of my heart and to the best of my ability, everything that I believe is in alignment and in unity with Him, and that's my responsibility for the role that I'm in. But I believe i got to have things for myself. And the problem... Oh boy, I'm not even there, and I'm doing it again. The problem a lot of you have is you've yet to get revelation. That's why when you face temptation... You have no determination. <laughs> Say that again. I, I like that. Oh, kind of flowed together. I just. If you have no revelation when you face temptation, you will not have determination. I got to get a Twitter account, man. I got to get. A... <laughs> so. That was my spiel. So, here we go. I, I find two primary themes when I read 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I find two primary things. Two primary things that are being dealt with, communicated. Topics. Issues. And I believe in this order. I believe it in the, that 
not only is it that's the way the verse is wise, it's in there, but I guess in, in, in importance, it seems to me. Authority and submission. Authority and submission is the first principle that all of this has to do with. And the second one is the distinction of the sexes. The differentiation of male and female. So, with that being said, let's read most of this chapter, or a good portion of it. 1 Corinthians 11, now, we're going to, well, let's just read and then we'll. Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head, as having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered dishonoreth her head, for that is even all one, all, for that is even all one as if she were shaven. For if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn, but if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, for as much as he is the image and the glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. I hope there's no feminists here tonight. Because by reading these and anything else I may say, you may want to kill me before I'm out of here. The only reason that would be the case is you miss the context and the principles of what God is saying. There is nothing in the Word of God when it comes to men and women that Scripture communicates about the woman being inferior, second class, whatever else. The man... For a man indeed ought not to cover his head for as much as he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. Ooh. We don't like that. Of course, if you got a man who God is not his head, then you probably won't like that. But when you've got a man who lets Christ be the head of him, you probably won't have a lot of issues that as a woman you were made for the man. For this cause ought the woman to have her have power on the, on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. For as, as the woman is of the man, even so is the man also by the woman, but all things of God. Judge in yourselves, is it comely that a woman pray unto God uncovered? Doth not even nature teach it, doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him, but if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given her for a covering. Her hair is given her for a covering. But if any man seem to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. The Message Bible, verse 13 through 15. Don't you agree there is something naturally powerful in the symbolism? A woman, her beautiful hair, 
reminiscent of angels, praying in adoration. A man, his head bared in reverence, praying in submission. I hope you're not going to be argumentative about this. All God's churches see it this way. I don't want you standing out as an exception. Meaning, this is the, this is what's common amongst us. So don't make some issue out of it and be different. Now, I, uh, I, uh, my, my mother is the only female that I, um, have a very close personal connection to that I've been around that has lost hair as a result of chemo. I'm not, obviously I know there's ladies in this church that have been through it, but I, I don't have the same personal uh, connection with them as I do with my mother. I assume, and it, it may very well be the same thing with a man that does chemo and loses hair as well, but I assume that for any female, saved or unsaved, apostolic or not, that there is an emotional struggle, whatever, with losing your hair from, from treatments. Seems to be the way it would be. So I say that because, again, I don't have quite the personal interaction to have that, that point of reference. So, with that being said, from the time that my, my mother started losing her hair from her treatments. What, what, and I've confirmed this today. <laughs> I didn't mean to do it so late, but I did. I had this, as I, as I listened to her through that process, from the very beginning and even, even, even up till now, I'm not trying to put her on the spot or Whatever, but even up till now, but, but especially in the beginning stages of her losing her hair, as I listened to her, I had this sense that her struggle was not simply over the emotional whatever of losing her hair. That her struggle was the, was because of the depth of the conviction that she had about her hair what it meant, what she believed. And I have watched her, and, and, and I know she loves me, so I, if I cross the line, she, she loves me too much, and she'll forgive me. But I have watched the turmoil she's been through at times, not just, not over losing her hair, but over what it represents. over what it meant to her. And I have, I have sat back and watched that and been, I communicated this to her today, but I have been challenged by that in the, in the context of the depth of her conviction. Because a lot of us, when we face challenging situations, things that we have lived by when it was comfortable and convenient, we're quickly willing to let go. 
And so she refused to do anything to her hair. And I'm not trying to condemn or judge anybody that has or done, whether you're here or someplace else. That's between you and Jesus. She refused to do anything herself to her hair and hold on in believing that God, not, not because it was some rule that she, but because something was in her spirit. And, 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 and actually, I'm, I'm just laying it all out there. I, I, I didn't, Again, I've been meaning to try to discuss this at some point with her, even before I thought I had any direction to teach this. And so we went back and forth by email today, and and she made this statement, and I quote, this statement is by my mom, or mother right to you. Lighten up a little bit. Good night. I felt like my hair was an expression of what my convictions represented. I wonder what would happen to all of us in all areas of outward appearance if we got the revelation that isn't an expression of my conviction. It is not an expression of my allegiance or my cooperation with the church I attend. But is in an expression of my convictions. I'm, I'm trying to get to giving you some basis, a little bit of understanding, especially for some of you that may not have ever really heard any of this. But, but, but there's a few important points that we just can't pass by. Anybody can attempt to abide by rules. Anybody can't. Anybody can, you can sort of, anybody can sort of get desperate enough you want to be in a certain position or ministry at Antioch and so you do what you have to do to meet the leadership requirements. But if, if, if those things never become personal convictions, you're only going to be willing to abide by the, the, the requirements so long. Till the point you're going to get tired of it. And you're not going to be willing to make the sacrifice to be involved to give up what you really want to do. Which is why some people currently do not have personal convictions, but you've, you've decided you're willing to abide by the guidelines just so you can be involved. But there's turmoil in your spirit. Because there's, it's not settled in you. And I know, I've already said it. I'm not, I'm not here tonight to teach and preach and whatever about rules. And this isn't all about rules. But it is about letting the Spirit of God help things become personal. A part of you. Who you are. Not who the church is. Not who Antioch is. Not who an organization is. Not, none of that. But, but who you are. I don't, and I, I'm not the only one. There's a bunch of you here that can say this. I'm just the one that's teaching tonight. But I don't do what I do anymore because of what I have to do. I can't take you to the day, the second, the spot when it happened. But somewhere along the way, this has all become who I am, what I am. It's not what I do, it's who I am. That's why 
it doesn't matter. I don't, I don't live one way in, 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 in Maryland and a whole nother way when I leave. I don't live by one set of rules when I'm home and then when I go on vacation, a whole different set of rules. So, now I, I'm going to, th- this is, this is, I, 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 I'm, Starting in May and, and even last week or week before last, whatever that was, at Apostolic Conference, God has, has been like zoomed in on me this year, working on me about just being me. Accepting me for who I am and what I am and etc. So my approach is, 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 may not be somebody else's approach, okay? My way of doing it may not be somebody else's way. But I'm, I'm, so I'm just gonna try to be me. I'm going, I'm gonna, I did this a couple of weeks ago, I forget with what, but I'm, I'm gonna, I'm about to to do a a good portion of reading. And, and I, I don't think I've done a good job on the fonts and the font sizes, my apologies. So maybe very hard for you to kind of follow along. There, there, to me, there's a, oh my word, there's a couple of categories of people. There's some of you here tonight. That, that, that if, 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 you know, I got up and said, you know, you need to do such and such, there, there's some folks here that are gonna be, okay. Absolutely. If you said it, I trust you, that's all I need, I'm doing that. Then there's some that, that are, they, 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 they're almost there, but they just need a little bit of foundation or basis to, and then there's some that are a little more on the line. And then there's the extreme that it doesn't matter what you tell them. They ain't going to believe it. I'm talking about us. I'm not talking about this. I'm talking about us. It doesn't matter how much information, material you give them. They're still going to, at the end of the day, check it off. But I do believe there's some that are in that balance that that that... The Bible itself ought to be enough and, and, and godly leadership. I understand we got cults and we got all of that and, and, and so I, I don't believe you should just take my word or anybody just take our word. That's not what I'm saying. But there also is a bit of a cynicism and a whatever that's crept into a lot of folks in the church today that they're, they're, they're very cynical, skeptical. So I, I, I rather than just me sharing and you, some of you that are in that balance, writing it off as an organization, a church, my background, etc. I want you to hear some unbiased, if you will, remarks and commentary about some of these things. So, I'm going to try to move as quickly as I can in respect of your time. Uh, even with my disclaimer, I still have self-imposed pressure here. So, but but anyway. So this is from Barnes Notes. This is regards to the statement with her head uncovered. That is, with the veil removed, which she usually wore. It would seem from this that women removed their veils and wore their disheveled and wore their hair disheveled when they pretended to be under the influence of divine inspiration. This was the case with the pagan priestesses, and in so doing, the Christian women imitated them. 
On this account, if on no other, Paul declares the impropriety of this conduct. It was, besides, a custom among ancient females, and one that was strictly enjoined by the traditional laws of the Jews that a woman should not appear in public unless she was veiled. So he's saying this, this, this idea of a veil was, was common, acceptable to them, but also this idea of imitating the world was not acceptable. It shows a lack of proper respect to the man, to her husband, to her father, to the sex in general. The veil is a token of modesty and of subordination. It is regarded among Jews and everywhere as an emblem of her sense of inferiority of rank and station. And I, I, I want to emphasize that word sense because females that I know are not the least bit inferior to me in rank or station. But it's a matter of accepting our role and our place. FYI, ladies, there's a bunch of us men that don't like being subject to Christ any more than you like the idea of being subject to us. And that by which she invinces her modesty and sense of subordination. To remove that is to remove the appropriate mark of subordination. And it is a and is a public act by which she thus shows dishonor to the man, and it is proper that the grades and ranks of life should be recognized in a suitable manner. So it is improper that even on pretense of religion and of being engaged in the service of God, these marks should be laid aside. You should not lay aside these these marks, these indicators. With regards to the phrase, for that it is even all one as if she were shaven, Barnes says this, as if her long hair, which nature teaches her she should wear for a veil, according to 1 Corinthians eleven fifteen, should be cut off. Long hair is by the custom of the times and of nearly all countries a mark of the sex, an ornament of the female and judged to be beautiful and comely. To remove that is to appear in this respect like the other sex and to lay aside the badge of her own. This, says Paul, all would judge to be improper. You yourselves would not allow it. And yet to lay aside the veil, the appropriate badge of the sex, and of her sense of subordination would be an act of the same kind. It would indicate the same feeling, the same forgetfulness of the proper sense of subordination. And if that is laid aside, all the, un, all the usual indications of modesty and subordination might be removed also. Not even under religious pretenses, therefore, are the usual marks of sex and of propriety of place and rank to be laid aside. I understand that when it comes to, to the principles, the outward principles that we teach with regards to the, the principles of holiness, not the standards, but the principles of holiness, the majority of them have to do with the female. That is not some punishment by God. The reason, to me, the reason that is the case is because as females, you are representative of the bride. The church is the bride. 
And so the same way in which there's a lot of things that distinguish you from the world more commonly than distinguish men from the world, it's representative that there should be a pretty common way that the bride is distinguished from the world. Due respect is to be shown in dress and speech and deportment to those whom God has placed above us. And neither in language and attire nor in habit are we to depart from what all judge to be properties of life or from what God has judged and ordained to be the proper indications of the regular graduations in society. With regards to the statement, for as much as he is the image and glory of God, the phrase the image of God refers to the fact that man was made in the likeness of his maker and proves that though fallen, there is a sense in which he is still the image of God. It is not because man is truly or pure and thus resembles his creator, but it evidently is because he was invested by his maker with authority and dominion. He was superior to all other creatures. This is still retained, and this and this the apostle evidently refers to in the passage before us. And this, he says, should be recognized and regarded. If he wore a veil or turban, it would be a mark of servitude or inferiority. It was therefore improper that he should appear in this manner. But he should be so clad as to not obscure or hide the great truth that he was the direct representative of God on the earth and had a superiority to all other creatures. The word glory in the Greek, or in the Hebrew, or the Greek, sorry, in the Greek is the opinion or the sentiment. It is the fame or the reputation. You, the, the men are God's reputation. We are to be the glory of God, the reputation. We ought to give God a good reputation. Sorry, wrong thing. Here it means, as it often does, splendor, brightness, or that which stands forth to represent God, or by which the glory of God is known. Man was created first, he had dominion given him, by him therefore the divine authority and wisdom first shone forth. And this fact should be recognized in the due subordination of rank, and even in the apparel and attire which shall be worn. The impression of his rank and superiority should be everywhere retained. This ought to affect every area of our lives. This what we're doing here tonight should affect every area of our lives. This tonight is not just about some religious block of time in my life. Not about some little segment that I've set aside for God. This is my life. You can't differentiate between sacred and secular. In the context of, I can't have my secular life and my sacred life. They're all supposed to be one. A living sacrifice. Everything I do, everything I'm involved in, a living sacrifice. The woman is the glory of the man. The honor, the ornament, she was made for him. She was made after he was. She was taken from him and was bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. All her comeliness, loveliness, and purity are therefore an expression of his honor and dignity. Since all that comeliness and loveliness were made of him 
and for him. Now, I don't know about the rest of you married men, but I kind of like be, I kind of like going to different conferences and stuff and having my wife with me, right beside me. And I like for people to kind of know she's with me. Not that she's my trophy. I need her to make me look good. There's no inferior. I'm the inferior one. I need her to make me look good. This, therefore, ought to be acknowledged by a suitable manner of attire, and in his presence, this sense of her inferiority of rank and subordination should be acknowledged by the customary use of the veil. She should appear with the symbol of modesty and subjection which are implied by the head being covered. This sense is distinctly expressed in the following verse. It goes on to say, with regards to the verse, doth not even nature itself. Now again, I, I'm reading all of this, and 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 and, and I'm, I'm 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 again just me, okay? I need to, I'm, I'm trying to apologize for being me, and I don't need to apologize for being me. And I'm not trying to be defensive with this. But we do have a tendency. We have a tendency. We have a tendency to write stuff off and minimize it and devalue it. And and there's other terminology we could use. It's probably not not inappropriate, but just not necessarily appropriate for the pulpit, so I won't use it. <laughs> but we have a tendency to discount some things because we, we, we just attribute it to a church or an organization. So, rather than, and, and maybe what I should be doing is just teaching and not, not using this, but this is what I'm doing, because I want, again, from a neutral, a neutral, Sometimes, you, some of you probably, most of you probably never heard this, but in, in St. Louis, St. Louis, or technically Hazelwood, Missouri, is where the United Pentecostal Church headquarters is. And a lot of times, as preachers, we will facetiously refer to it as the Vatican. Don't really mean any disrespect by that, just mean it more humorous, humorously. The point is, we're not this church and hopefully no other church is just parroting something that's being pushed down. So, enough of my cloaked defensiveness. <laughs> the word nature, or whatever that is in the Greek, fuses, denotes evidently that sense of propriety which all men have and which is expressed in any prevailing or universal custom. That which is universal, we say, is according to nature. It is such as is demanded by the natural sense of fitness among people. Thus we may say that nature demands that the sexes should wear different kinds of dress, that nature demands that the female should be modest and retiring. Hello? Anybody listening? Nature demands that the sexes should wear different kinds of dress, that nature demands that the female should be modest and retiring. That, that, that's, that, what that's saying is we were programmed. And I, I, I'm, I'm gonna just be real transparent and maybe, maybe other men are not this way. I'm, I'm just, I'm gonna throw myself out there. I, I get, I get more excited during the day when I happen to see a part of my wife's knee than I do from some 
female that's basically showing everything in some picture or advertisement or whatever. Because she's hiding something. She's not flaunting. And she's also doing what is instinctive in her. That nature. Tell you young ladies something. If you are attracting him by revealing him things that he shouldn't see before the proper time, you, you don't want him. When you unwrap the package before Christmas morning, it steals a lot of the fun of the present. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. <laughs> I won't expound on that anymore. I'm going to leave that one right there for now. Hallelujah. I'm already hot and it's getting hotter. <laughs> Such are in general the customs that the world over... And if any reason is asked for numerous habits that exist in society, no better answer can be given than, na than that nature, as arranged by God, has demanded it. The word in this place, therefore, does not mean the constitution of the sexes, but it refers to deep internal sense of what is proper and right, a sense which is expressed extensively in all nations. Go do a Google search under images and, 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 and under Google... Do a, click on images and do this search. Women in the 1900s. Women in the 1800s. Don't do women in the 2000s. If you go home, men, and do that, I pray your wife or your mama catches you. Because I did it. You start with women in the 1900s, you will find on Google, all those images that come up when you search an image. If you start 1900 and go back, you will find that the majority of pictures you see there make you women look like you're half-dressed tonight. Versus the 2000s, you are well-clothed. Isn't it interesting how much the world has changed, and we all, not, sorry, let me rephrase that, and people, Christians, want to stand up and fuss that it's just some church that's, that's traditional or legalistic, when you look that there was a point in time that there really was not a big difference between the world and the church, because most of what the church stood for, the world stood for. But we've now reached a place that it's actually really not a bad thing. There is a major gap that has come, and there is a huge difference between the world and the church. You know what that means? It's a lot easier for you and I to shine a light today than it was 50, 60, 70 years ago. The church should not be adjusting with the times. The church ought to remain unchanging, the same. Now, 
No reason can be given in the nature of things why the woman should wear long hair and the man not, but the custom prevails extensively everywhere. And nature in all nations, all nations has prompted to the same course. Use is second nature, but the usage in the case is not arbitrary, but it is founded in an anterior. That means in a, in a, in a, in a, it's, it's the programming in your brain, the sense of what is proper and right. A few and only a few have regarded it as comely for a man to wear his hair long. Aristotle tells us, indeed, that among the Lacedomen, whoeverins, freemen were, wore their hair long. In the time of Homer, also the Greeks were called by him, Keri como untis achais, or let's just simply call them long-haired Greeks. <laughs> and some of the Asiatic nations adopted the same custom. But the general habit among people has been different. Among the Hebrews, it was regarded as disgraceful to a man to wear his hair long, except he had a vow as a Nazarite. Occasionally, occasionally, for effect, for affectation or singularity, the hair was suffered to grow and was, and was the case with Absalom, but the traditional law of the Jews on the subject was strict. The same rule existed among the Greeks and it was regarded as disgraceful to wear long hair in the time of alien. At, it is a shame unto him. It is improper and disgraceful. It is doing that which almost universal custom has said appropriately belongs to the female sex. That's what he, that's what Paul, it's inherent in nature. But now we want to fuss it and argue about it and we're falling into the, into one of the, to me, which is one of the greatest things, one of the greatest, uh, 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 goals of the enemy today, and that is a complete blurring of all lines. Let's eliminate all lines, all forms of distinction. University of Tennessee. University of Tennessee. University of Tennessee. Not talking about some wacko, small-time school somewhere in the middle of nowhere. University of Tennessee. What is the office that controls this stuff called... I forget the name of the office that oversees this kind of stuff. They are, they are, they are saying that the, the pronouns, the pronouns he and she can be offensive and so you should just simply use Z. He and she. Only problem is, I go back all the way to the very beginning of all of this, and I find there was a he and there was a she. And that's not offensive. It's the way God made it. <laughs> Verse 15. This is Young's literal translation. Young's literal. This doesn't get used a whole lot by myself and others that I hear. This, this, is, this isn't the... You know, flowery message Bible, the wordy amplified Bible. This is, this is Young's literal translation. And a woman, if she have long hair, a glory it is to her because the hair instead of a covering hath been given to her. So my understanding of that is Paul is saying the hair has been given as the veil. That's what Young's literal translation says. We re, are you, we okay with that? that? James F. Fawcett Brown. The fact that nature has provided woman 
and not man with long hair proves that man was designed to be uncovered and woman covered. The Nazarite wore long hair lawfully as part of a vow sanctioned by God. Nature is God's will impressed on creation. Nature is God's will impressed on creation. That, that is a powerful statement. Nature is God's will. Man and woman is God's will impressed on creation. When he is recognized, nature's teaching are auxiliary to revelation. When he's recognized, nature's teachings are secondary. When he's not recognized, we alter his teachings. A summary by appeal to the universal custom of the churches. If... If any man chooses, still, after all my arguments to be contentious, if any thinks himself right in being so, a reproof of the Corinthians' self-sufficiency and disputatiousness. Jewish women veiled themselves in public, according to Tertullian. The former explanation is best, as the Jews are not referred to in the context, but he often refers to himself and his fellow apostles. No such custom. Not that of being contentious, the usage of true churches, plural, not the church, as an abstract entity, but the churches as many independent witnesses of God, the churches which God recognizes as a valid argument as to external rights. Commentator is saying what they, what, what has governed them, what they have done, what they have lived by as helping to establish the standard is a valid argument of external rights. I think I've got things a little bit out of order here, my apologies, but Barnes Note says this, it is a glory unto her. It is an ornament and adorning. The same instinctive promptings of nature which make it proper for a man to wear short hair make it proper that the woman should suffer hers to grow long. It is for a covering, the margin or a veil. It is given to her as a sort of natural veil and to indicate the propriety of her wearing a veil. It answered the purposes of a veil when it was allowed to grow long and to spread over the shoulders and even parts of the face before the arts of dress were invented or needed. There may also be an allusion here to the fact that the hair of women naturally grows, grows longer than that of men. The value which Eastern females put on their long hair may be learned from the fact that when Ptolemy your Gettys, king of Egypt, was about to march against that guy. His queen, Bernice, vowed as the most precious sacrifice, listen to this, as the most precious sacrifice which she could make, she would cut off and consecrate her hair if he returned in safety. The eastern ladies, say Harmer, are remarkable for the length and great number of the tresses of the hair. The men there, on the contrary, shave all the hair off their heads, excepting one lock. And we are definitely not about to start doing that. <laughs> and those that wear hair are thought effeminate. Those that wear long hair are thought effeminate. Both these particulars are mentioned by Chardon, who says they are agreeable to the custom of the East. The men are shaved, the women nourish their hair with great fondness, which they lengthen by tresses and tufts of silk down to the heels. The young men who wear their hair in the East are looked upon as effeminate and infamous. Her hair for a covering, her long hair shows she ought to cover her head as much as possible. The will ought to accord with nature. The will ought to accord with nature. Something that caught my attention. Let me uh, 
should have stopped while it was there. So th- this whole nature thing, Paul is saying, this is this is what's instinct. This is what this is what comes natural. You're fighting something that nature itself indicates, teaches us. I don't remember what it was. I didn't have time to ask my wife if she remembered, but I could, years ago the kids were all a lot younger. The girls, in particular, were I think somewhere in the eight, twelve-year-old range. We were we were watching a very family-friendly video, and, and somehow I don't remember what the context of it was, what it was, what the point was, but. It was like in the background there was these, there was, I, I don't remember if it was male or female, but they, it was a same-sex couple that was on a honeymoon, and somehow that was indicator communicating. Again, the rest of the, all the rest of the movie before and after had been fine, but I remember the reaction of my kids as young children. Not after I had indoctrinated them. There was a natural reaction that saw that and something in nature indicated to them that's not the way things are supposed to be. I I know for for some it may not be good enough and maybe hopefully, but maybe some of you here tonight, this still isn't good enough. But, But what I understand Paul to be saying, and as I read this neutral commentary here, what I understand him to be saying is there's something that is instinctive you're, you're, you're making an issue or fighting something that is instinctive. And, and this really isn't what I, 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 I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to get done here as quick as I can. I'm not done, but I'm trying. This isn't my point. But ladies, i, I got to tell you, if your hair, if your hair is for your glory and a covering, I don't think it really... Say this as kindly as I can, I guess, but I don't think it really says a whole lot about the depth of your conviction when it looks a lot of times like you haven't even done anything with it. It is for the it is for glory. It's not for you just to pile up and throw together. Well, I ain't doing that Pentecostal poof stuff. Okay, don't. But it's your glory. It's a covering. Something to be proud of in a godly context. So, let, 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 me, let me touch on this and then a little bit more and I'll, I'll be done. So, all, all this long hair stuff. Do you know the thing that I, I so... One of the things, not the... One of the things I so love about the Word of God is if it was a book of rules, at some point rules become outdated. Cultures change, things change, and, and rules become outdated. There are things that you and I, that is sin today, that if God would have just given rules 2,000 whatever plus years ago, if He'd have given them those rules that applied to us, they would have been like, what in the world? So God gives us principles. I sat today... I, I, you know, most preachers ask for five minutes. It's my iPad says nine sixteen, and the seconds are ticking. That's a stupid thing about this keynote. You got the time and the seconds. I'll, I, I, give me thirteen minutes, thirteen minutes, and I'll, I'll, I promise you, 
13. You're the only one saying that, Yolanda. I appreciate it. So I'm going to dismiss everybody else, and you and I are going to stay here, and I'm going to just teach you all night. (laughs) I just wasted one of those minutes, so give me 14 minutes. (laughs) So... I don't even, I forget where I was. So, so we get principles that supersede time, culture. Principles that you can take. Oh, I know. I, we set my, our kids attend a, a tutorial. We, we homeschool, but they attend a tutorial. They go to classes two days a week. And I went, we went today was their orientation. They go through and sit and have a, a introduction to every class they're taking. And one of them, one out of three of them, I forget which one. One of them's taking Timothy. Timothy's taking a health class. And I sat there as this lady is talking about this health class she's going to teach. And she used two of the verses I used a couple of sun, a couple of Thursday nights ago. She is sitting there and she says, now I'm going to give you some basis foundations for this health class. Your bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost. And I'm sitting there listening to this non-apostolic woman talk about the foundational principles of the health class she was about to teach has to do with your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. So, there's, there's principles that we take and apply. So, so here's the thing. We're talking about this long hair. Come here, Esther, I'll pick on you. We're talking about long hair. Here's our, here, here's the challenge, okay? Long hair. Yeah, come on up here. That, that's, and I know there's a few of you ladies here tonight that have even longer. So that's long hair, right? To share you got a sleeping child, but you're the one I know I can pick on and you'll still love me. Can you help me out? Bring him up here. I don't care if you carry him up here. That's what you got to do. I'll use her. We go back to my teenage years. She's been my little sister for a long time, so she'll she'll love me. So here, here we got long, right? Paul's all this long hair stuff, right? Hello? Hello? So, this would be long. This would be... Y'all are cheating on me. I need you to answer in natural terms for a second. Very good, very good, thank you, but help me out for a second. Non-biblical terms. Thank you. This would be, that would be... Then how can she, then she doesn't need a veil, but she does. I don't tell me no. I know it's not no. Let me get there. <laughs> there's a bunch of you that know, but there's a few folks that don't know it's no. So be quiet. <laughs> Hangs down, covers the shoulders. She she's got not she doesn't have long. She got thick hair. One of the memories I will cherish for the rest of my life is when she was younger, it was our thing. She would take, get her, wash her hair, and then I would braid it. I was the one that had the touch to detangle it. She doesn't ask me to braid her hair anymore. 
She said she can take it out and I can braid it. Y'all want to see that? I ain't got time for that. I'm, I'm wasting my minutes. <laughs> so it's not, lo- it's not just long. It's thick, full. She's a married woman, but again, she's been my younger sister. I'm going to touch her right there on the arm, okay? <laughs> Brother Lee, I'm just touching her arm, all right? I'm not going to put my arm around her and... Of course, a lot of you are hugging folks, so I don't, apparently that doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> doesn't cover the shoulders, right? So now for all you theological folks that are jumping ahead of me, now that you have this mental image, thank you ladies very much, this is the definition. The words, the words long hair come from one Greek word, okay? And this is what it means, to let the hair grow. How do you let the hair grow? If it was long in the natural definition of long, it would be a cultural doctrine. I'm sorry, this may cross some people's teachings... I'll just have to take that risk. Mary Mag, was it, wasn't it Mary Magdalene that washed Jesus' feet with her hair? That is not a foundational basis for why long hair, long hair. Cause half the people here tonight couldn't wash anybody's feet with your hair. Not to mention, <laughs> if you had it, you wouldn't want to. Esther's got it, but I can't see her washing anybody's feet. I know it's in the Bible, but I just got to tell you, that's... (laughs) So, how is it that whatever, and and, and some of it's culture, it's not all culture. My wife's got hair, my wife, my, my wife is, she looked hot when she wears her hair down. I'm just telling you right now. But you know what? Most of the time she won't for, for a primary reason. Through all the years and babies and all that stuff, her hair that used to be most of the way down her back is barely down her back. And she is so worried about people thinking she cut it, she won't wear it down. Now I know on one hand all that's sad, but you know what? On the other hand, I appreciate the depth of her conviction and concern about things that she respects that. So I cherish those moments every now and then when she does it. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) All right. I know I said 13, but I got to learn that thing from the bishop. He just don't care. (laughs) I'm not old enough yet. I still care too much. (laughs) So, so, well, well. So for, I, I, oh, I probably shouldn't say it quite this way, so forgive me, alright? But I am gonna, I'm just gonna go ahead and do it. So for all you white ladies, <laughs> that are fortunate to have hair that goes all the way down your back, and you're so concerned about split ends because they're unhealthy, it really isn't fair that God gives it to you so long, you can take a little bit off and it's still long, And some, it's very short, and if they take a little bit off of what they have, there's not anything left. 
sorry, not trying to be whatever to anybody. That's a cultural doctrine. So we can't, we can't have it one way. I'm sorry, I usually don't talk like this. And if you're a guest, you don't know this. But those that are here, I think they will testify for me. I don't like this term. but I, So please forgive me. There are a few guests. Please forgive me. I know you think I'm good, but I'm worried about the rest of them. That makes it, if it's okay for you to take a little bit off because it's dead ends, that makes it a, a white lady's gospel. And it makes it unfair. And I know, now I've tried to, I, I, I actually researched, did some time researching split ends. Because supposedly you, you gotta cut them off because they're unhealthy. Please, Somebody, I cannot find it. And if you, maybe you can't, you know it and either interrupt me now or come tell me after. Tell me one other thing in nature where the health of it is determined by the farthest extensions of it. In my backyard at the last house I lived in was a tree that grew up in an area where we wanted a play set for my kids. We cut the tree down. I cut it down. There was about that much stump left. Do you know what I had to do about every four or five months? I had to cut off new sprouts. Because as I cut off the entire tree, but there was still life in the roots, and so therefore new branches came. So please explain to me how the very end of something determines the health of something. Jesus walks by and sees a dead tree because there's no fruit. or He sees a tree with no fruit on the end of it and curses the tree. But when he cursed the tree, he saw, they saw nothing. But the moment he cursed the tree, the roots died. And so a couple of days later, they come and they say, well, what do you know? It's dead. It was dead the second he cursed it. Because life comes from the root. If any man be contentious, the sense of this passage is probably this. If any man, any teacher or others is disposed to be strenuous about this, if you want to make an issue out of this, is what he's saying, or make it a matter of difficulty, if he is disposed to call and question my reasoning and to dispute my premises and the considerations which I have advanced and to maintain still that it is proper for women to appear unveiled in public, or in the context of what Paul says, the hair is veiled and then appear with hair that is cut. I would add that in Judea we have no such custom, neither does it prevail among any of the churches. This, therefore, would be a sufficient reason why it should not be done in Corinth. You, you know what? The, 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 get this. This is the con, this to me is what the commentary is saying, Paul's saying. Let me put it in today's terminology. How about that? The majority, because it's not all nowadays, the majority of other United Pentecostal churches, this is their custom. So that ought to be enough for us. 
That, that's what the commentary is saying about what Paul said. Now, I'm, not, I'm not saying that tonight. I'm trying to give you some foundation and context, but what, what the commentary is saying about what Paul said is Paul was saying, based on what is the norm amongst us, that ought to be good enough for us. I know, but it's 2015. I know it don't work that way anymore. And I'm not saying it should work that way solely because the Bible's got to be the foundation. Please, that's, that's got to be the foundation. It would be singular, it would be contrary to the usual custom, would offend the prejudices of many and should therefore be avoided. We have no such custom. We, the apostles in the church which we have elsewhere founded, or we have no such custom in Judea. The sense is that it is contrary to custom there for women to appear in public unveiled. This custom, the apostle argues, ought to be allowed to have some influence on the church of Corinth, even though they should not be convinced by his reasoning. The church is elsewhere. It is customary, therefore, there for the women to appear veiled. If at Corinth this custom is not observed, it will be a departure from what has elsewhere been regarded as proper and will offend these churches. Even, therefore, if the reasoning is not sufficient to silence all sick, all cavils and doubts, yet the propriety of uniformity in in the habits of the churches the fear of giving offenses should lead you to discountenance and disapprove the custom of your females appearing in public without their veil. Again, the distinction of the sexes is the other thing. I'm going to really fly through this. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he, him, male and female. I'm not going to take the time. If you want the notes, really, I don't mean to be presumptuous. All of you ought to get these notes and reread through them in your time. But it's submission and authority, and it's also about the distinction. There should be a difference. You tell me. I'm not trying to be judgmental, critical, anything. I don't mean it that way, and if it comes across that way, I, I, I really am I'm sorry. But you tell me that when you stand behind an individual and your initial impression is that that's a male, and then when you realize it's a female, that there's something in you that doesn't respond and say, that shouldn't be the case. I should be able to identify. So again, for some of you, that comes a whole lot easier and you can take a little bit off here and there and you can still be very identifiable. But you know what? God is not unjust. God is not unfair. God is not prejudiced. Authority and submission. Because just as the women should be submitted, so we as the church corporately should be submitted to our head. I I, I don't know. I'm not sure if there's a way to do it with the, the mass email we use. As always, you're welcome to my notes. And as I just said, I would encourage you to take a little bit of time. As I as I dug into this myself, as I dug into this myself again, to hear what the unbiased scholars had to say, I, I already believe this. That wasn't the point. That wasn't the issue. 
But I've also listened, I've been around this all my life, and so I've heard it all my life, people who want to stand up and challenge, well, that's just tradition, that's just UPC tradition. And when I hear a non-biased theologian say some of these things, all I need is the Bible, that's all I should need. But it helps to solidify some things. I'm a human being. So... Stand, please. Thank you for the two extra minutes that I took that I didn't actually ask for. God, I pray that you would help us tonight, Lord. I I have no desire as senior pastor to ever teach, preach, communicate in a way that comes across as rules and regulations. That's not what this is all about. And God, I think sometimes that in my humanity, in my finite mind, it may be a little bit challenging to articulate eternal things in a way that come across the right way. But I trust tonight that, especially God, for those that may have had no understanding, that there would be some revelation and understanding that would come. And ultimately, God, not just with this topic tonight, but beyond this and all the other areas that apply, that you would help every one of us to develop convictions that we live by, that it's not just an adherence to or an abidance by some church doctrine or expectation, but God, that it really does become a part of who we are, a part of our makeup, a part of our nature. We're living, God, as you know, way better than we even know, a world that is challenging everything we stand for and believe in, and things that have been so common and accepted not just religiously, but throughout the world, throughout secular society, the norms that used to be are now being challenged. And so we as a church are being challenged. But I pray that you would help us to stand true to your word, nothing else, God, but your word, that our beliefs and our values, our convictions would not adjust with the changing times, but we would continue to allow them to be dictated, determined, influenced by the eternal word that never changes. In the name of Jesus Christ, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for your patience. I greatly appreciate it. May God bless you. I pray you have a good weekend in Jesus' name.